Well, good morning, church. So good to be with you this morning. And I want to welcome all of our first-time guests for joining us this morning for church. Uh, we'd love to invite you to check out our website, salemheightschurch.org, to learn more about our church and what we have going on here at the church during this season. Here in a few weeks, we're actually going to be able to do our trunk or treat. Uh, we invite you to come and bring your kids to a fun night here on October 31st at the church. We've changed our format to be a drive-through, so we have a ton of safety protocols in place, but it should still be a fun night to come and, and interact and have your kids get some treats. But uh, this is an awesome opportunity for you to come and uh, invite your friends to come to our Trunk or Treat drive-through October 31st. Well, we have a great worship in store for you this morning and to hear from God's Word. So we ask you now to join us as we worship our Lord together. Good morning, church. Let's sing to our God. Our God and firm foundation, our rock, the only solid ground, the nations rise and fall. Kingdoms once strong, now shaken, we trust forever in your name, the name of Jesus. We trust the name of Jesus, you are the only King forever, almighty God, we lift you higher, you are the only King forever. Victorious, you are the only king forever. Almighty God, we lift you higher. You are the only king forever. Forevermore, you are victorious. Unmatched in all your justice you will reign and every knee will bow we bring our expectations our hope is anchored in your name the name of Jesus we trust the name of Jesus you are the only Victorious, you are the only king forever. Mighty God, we lift you higher. You are the only king forever. Forevermore, you are victorious. We lift our banner high. We lift the name of Jesus from age to age. Thank you. 
Thank you so much for who you are, for your greatness, for your grace and your mercy. And God, we're going to wait on you. We're going to wait before, before you, God, humbly and surrendered. We don't want to get ahead of your plan, no, God. And this season has taught us that. God, we thank you so much for you are our hope and our God. We love you and pray these things in Christ's name. 
Well, good morning, church. So good to be with you again. And if you are a first-time guest, we just want to say thank you for uh, joining us now as we turn our attention to God's Word and uh, return to our series, In the Desert But Not Deserted. So if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to grab those. Find your way to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And if you want to get ahead, we're also going to be in Numbers chapter 16 this morning. So I'm here with Pastor Justin and it's uh, been a while since we've preached together, but yeah. I'm really excited to be back and uh, do this with you this morning. And We've been in this series for now several <clears throat> weeks looking at um, some warnings that Paul has given uh, the Corinthian church here, and he's using the story of the Israelites and some of the things that they failed and struggled with in the desert to serve as a warning for us. Yeah. What, what are some of the key things we just kind of want to hit on as we kind of review and recap where we've been? Well... I think the big thing is that it's an overall passage we've been preaching. So in 1 Corinthians 10, um, he is working us through temptations that are common for mankind. Mm -hmm. And he's telling us, these are some things that you can harden your heart against mm -hmm. and will, that will get you in trouble. But let me give you four categories of sin that we typically fall into. Mm -hmm. And so we've been working our way through that passage. But the big overarching thing is what we face is common. Mm -hmm. And hard times tend to bring out that uh, commonality. Right. And so what we're supposed to do as we read this passage is inspect our own lives. Then as we find comfort in scripture, we are supposed to comfort someone else. So if we figure out how to get right, we take somebody with us. Mm -hmm. And and then um, elevate, elevate our view. Yeah, <laughs> we've got to focus on Christ. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah, we uh, just inspect our lives, comfort others, and elevate our view. Yeah, and so that acronym of ICE is how we respond to the heat yeah. of the desert. And so we've touched on um, some of the things that Paul's covered here are idolatry, sexual immorality, and then grumbling or complaining against God's provision. Yeah. And today we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 10, as he gives the fourth warning for uh, an attitude that can develop amongst the people in a yeah. of intensity. And this is a little bit of a hard one um, because now we're talking about grumbling against the leaders that God's put in place, yeah. but it's going to be hard to miss that we're also leaders that right. we believe God's put in place. Yeah. So how are, we're going to have to walk through this passage understanding that uh, some broken leaders are talking about what do you do in a situation like this. Yeah. Um, but it is such a great concern in Scripture that God says, I really want you to see this top priority from the very beginning. I either am running this entire organization and using broken people, or else they're running it and you shouldn't be a part of it. Yeah. If it's just run by man, you should leave. But if I am in control, I'm going to get the glory because you're going to see all the brokenness mm -hmm. and somehow it still works for my good pleasure. It's going to work out in a way that makes dramatic change or leads to peace. The only way for that to happen using broken people is if God is in the mix. Yeah. So we're going to preach the text this morning yeah. and then we're going to spend some time addressing probably the kind of the key question that we think will help bring it home to how this applies to us here even at Salem Heights. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, church. Yeah. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 10 uh, in verse 10 this is what Paul writes. He says, And don't complain, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroyer. Now, again, Paul's audience would have uh, most likely been uh, familiar with these stories from the Old Testament, but we're going to flip back this morning to Numbers yeah. chapter 16 and see specifically what is the event that Paul is referring to. And so in Numbers chapter 16, uh, starting in verse 1, it says this, now Korah, son of Izhar, son of Kohath, son of Levi, with Dathan and Ebram, sons of Eliab, and on the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took 250 prominent Israelite men who were leaders of the community and representatives in the assembly, and they rebelled against Moses. They came together against Moses and Aaron and told them, You have gone too far. Everyone in the entire community is holy, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the Lord's assembly? When Moses heard this, he fell face down. Then he said to Korah and all his followers, Tomorrow morning the Lord will reveal who belongs to him, who is set apart, and the one he will let come near him. He will let the one he chooses come near him. Korah, 
You and all your followers are to do this. Take fire pans and tomorrow place fire in them and put incense on them before the Lord. Then the man the Lord chooses will be the one who is set apart. It is you Levites who have gone too far. Moses also told Korah, Now listen, Levites, isn't it enough for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the Israelite community to bring you near to himself, to perform the work at the Lord's tabernacle, and to stand before the community to minister to them? He has brought you near, and all your fellow Levites who are with you, but you are pursuing the priesthood as well. Therefore, it is as you and all your followers have conspired against the Lord. As for Aaron, who is he that you should complain about him? Moses sent for Dathan and Ebrahim, the sons of Eliab, but they said, We will not come. It is not enough that you brought us up from the land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness. Do you also have to appoint yourself as ruler over us? Furthermore, you didn't bring us to a land flowing with milk and honey or give us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you gouge out the eyes of these men? We will not come. So this text here has, we're introduced to a man named Korah and some of his followers. But yeah. um, in this passage today, Numbers chapter 16, we're going to kind of see a couple of key <clears throat> patterns. The pattern of what it looks like when people rebel against leadership, and then the pattern of how people respond when God sends a consequence. Yeah, and there's a, a couple other uh, passages in here that I think highlight also the consequences of there. I yeah. think uh, verse... 28 yeah and and on to 35 it, it reads like this then moses said this is how you will know that the lord sent me to do all these things and that it was not my own will if these men die naturally as all people would and suffer the fate of all then the lord has not sent me but if the lord brings about something unprecedented and the grounds opens its mouth and swallows them along with all that belongs to them so that they go down alive into sheol then you will know that these men have despised the Lord. Just as he finished speaking all these words, the ground beneath them split open. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed them in their households, all Korah's people and all their possessions. They went down alive into Sheol with all that belongs to them. The earth closed over them and they vanished from the assembly. At their cries, all the people of Israel who were around them fled because they thought, the earth may swallow us too. Fire also came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were presenting the incense. So we have this big event, and then the final part of number 16 tells us how all the people who hadn't been uh, swallowed up by the earth or burned with the fire, how they responded. In verse 41 it says, The next day the entire Israelite community complained about Moses and Aaron, saying, You have killed the Lord's people. When the community assembled against them, Moses and Aaron turned toward the tent of meeting, and suddenly the cloud covered it, and the Lord's glory appeared. Moses and Aaron went to the front of the tent of meeting, and the Lord said to Moses, Get away from this community, so that I may consume them instantly. But they fell face down. Then Moses told Aaron, Take your fire pan, place fire from the altar in it, and add incense. Go quickly to the community and make atonement for them. Because wrath has come from the Lord, the plague has begun. So Aaron took his fire pan as Moses had ordered, ran into the middle of the assembly, and saw that the plague had begun among the people. And after he had added incense, he made atonement for the people. He stood between the dead and the living, and the plague was halted. But those who died from the plague numbered 14,700, in addition to those who died because of Korah's incident. Aaron then returned to Moses at the entrance to the tent of meeting, since the plague had been halted. Man, I, the thing that strikes me when I read this passage is God doesn't do anything small. Mm. This, this is another incident that when we read it, we're, we're, we're saying, it's so uncomfortable for me to read how God responds right. to this rebellion. And, and yet also I can see in my own life moments where I've had this same kind of heart that's inside the sons of of Korah. Yeah, so the sons of Korah are Levites. They have a already a, a role within yeah. the people of Israel God had given them. And they come now to Moses and Aaron, the two men that God had appointed to lead the people yeah. 
on this journey and they begin to question them. They begin to question their authority. Who yeah. are they? They don't like what they're doing. But we see some other patterns here in this text that I think is that we need to highlight because as we yeah. were talking about them, each of these things that this passage highlights about the rebellion, to me at least, kind of goes, ooh, I, I can see that in me at yeah. times. First Corinthians 10 is saying, don't have in your heart the same heart that was in theirs. Mm -hmm. And it's saying this is actually something that happens and it's contagious. Mm -hmm. There's a, a flower down in uh, Brazil. It's actually a vine that grows and it's called the matador flower where it literally the vine starts to wrap its way around a tree and it slowly grows its way up and around this tree until it gets all the way to the top. Mm -hmm. It gets to the top and it crowns itself. So when it gets to the top of this tree, it's grown all the way around. It's choking the tree out. The tree is dying. But because it's worked its way to the top, it puts this great big flower out and it blooms and shoots its um, seeds and stuff around the, the rest of the, the vines that are out there. So it, it, it begins to spread to other trees and grow in a way that will begin to eat at the forest. But the way that it thrives is by choking out its host mm -hmm. and then it crowns itself at the end. This is the same kind of picture God's giving is there's something in these men that instead of giving life to the community, they're feeding off the community in order to crown their own glory. And he says, this is destructive. It won't build up the people and it won't help them get where they're supposed to go. But it's in all of us. Right. We all struggle with the kind of heart that says, let me feed off of you and get glory. And so one of the things we want to do is just highlight some of these things we see in the pattern yeah. of rebellion because right now we want to inspect our hearts. Yeah. As we consider the different Completely. authority figures in our lives, are any of these <laughs> things going to hit close to home? Um, because Paul's warning us, do business with that, stop that, prevent that, remove that, so that you don't fall in the same way the Israelites true. did. So what are some of those patterns or some of the things yeah, we that, see here? Yeah, we, we have uh, two, two patterns and a question we're yeah. going to highlight. And that yeah. first pattern is the pattern of rebellion. And the summary statement we just put at the top here was that a desire for significance and an unstable environment led useful men to become rebels. Mm. So these are men that actually were useful. They actually were um, part of the team. When Moses was overwhelmed, God leads him to, to choose 70. His spirit uh, that was working through Moses began to work through those 70. And right. those men empowered others. And so these Levites were part of that leading crew they were helping to lift the heavy weight of, of working with Israel while they were in their wandering. Yeah. And so they were actually good, useful people. They had been risen to prominence, though, through, through other people looking at them saying, these are gifted people. Right. That's a good process. Mm -hmm. But then um, they became prominent. Here's the, the pattern. They became prominent, verses 2 and 3 says, uh, that, that they actually were recognized, named leaders. People could understand, that's somebody that I go to. Right. Then they began to flatter the people. Uh, verse 3 says, um, they came together and said, you've gone too far. Everyone in the entire community is holy. Exodus 19 actually says, I, I want this group to be holy. They rejected it, but they're actually quoting scripture here. They're quoting Moses's statements about, uh, coming from God. The whole entire group is holy, but they're saying it out loud to the people, trying to flatter them, saying, you're holier than this, you're better than this, you need better leaders. Mm -hmm. So they became prominent, they began to flatter people, then they questioned God's leaders. In mm -hmm. particular, they questioned God's choice of leaders. Why would he pick you to lead these people? Why should you be the ones to lead them? We're really good at this. Why, why you? And then they arch their back at accountability, verses 12 and 13. It actually says that Moses sent for Dathan and Abraham, but they said, we won't come. It's enough that you brought us up out of the land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. Do you also want to appoint yourself as a ruler over us? So you're bossing us around now? Hey, we're not where we want to be. You told us that we were going into the land flowing with milk and honey. By the way, Moses had promised that. They had rejected it. They rejected God's plan, and now they're dealing with the consequences. But they're just mad, saying, you messed up. If we were the leaders, that wouldn't have happened. Right. I mean, that, that's the question, right? Yeah. Why didn't they have that? Why, why hadn't they made it to the land that God had promised them? It wasn't because Moses had permitted no. it. No. They were now wandering yeah. because of their disobedience. The only reason they're not all dead was Moses is falling on his face over and over again, saying, Lord, don't kill him this time. Don't kill right. him. But I think this attitude is something that is easy like when... 
we already are struggling with the leadership and we question them, then we arch our back when they start yeah. to lead and we say, I'm not going to listen to you. Yeah. Okay, you're not my boss. Yeah. And who, who chose you? Yeah. Wow. And the, so the final ones, I arch their back at accountability. There's two more patterns there in rebellion. They play the martyr card, verse 14. Mm. Um, says, you didn't bring us to a land flowing with milk and honey. Will you gouge out the eyes of these men? So, the, you know, basically, it doesn't look like a land flowing with milk and honey here in the desert. So you ruined our lives. We had it better in Egypt. And you, you've, uh, you've built all of this wonderful, you know, Israelite power on our backs. Yeah. Are you gonna try Leave to, us alone. Are you going to try to convince us that this is a good thing? Yeah, yeah. We're just out here being your slaves. Yeah. And then finally, they wanted to go back to better days. We want to go back to Egypt. Nobody reading scripture says Egypt was a better plan. But somehow that comes up, and that always comes out of our heart. Yeah. But the implication is central. They're saying under our leadership, Israel's trials would have been avoided. Mm. And that's what we have to ask. Is that true? So as, we're, as we were looking through this and beginning to kind of break down this text, I, one of the thoughts that came to mind is just in our own culture, yeah. what, it, you pick a topic. It doesn't matter what it is. There's probably a show, a podcast, a yeah. channel dedicated to people's opinions on how the person leading, the person performing, the person in charge is failing. And if they would listen to me or if I were in that role, yes, I, it would be better. I, Absolutely. We were talking, and, and one, of the, I, the, one of the thoughts that came to my mind was uh, the character in the movie Napoleon Dynamite, yep. of Uncle Rico, yeah. right, who <laughs> believes that he's sitting there and he's talking about it, and he's just saying, I used to be able to throw a football a quarter mile. Yeah. And if coach would have put me in the game, we would have been the state champions for sure. Yeah. We always live with this, you know, revisionist history that if yeah. I were to be given the opportunity, I'm so great, it would have been better. Yeah, and, and never mind that every scene he's doing that, he's like throwing a stake at somebody <laughs> or doing something ridiculous, right? right? It's evident he couldn't uh, right. follow through. We do have a high opinion of ourselves. That is that is the nature. It's one one side of the equation that's in this passage is the Uncle Rico syndrome. And that is, if they put me in the game, we'd have gone to state. The flip side, though, is it's easy to be the leader, right? right. It's easy to be you, Moses. You, you love this role. You get to do whatever you want to do, boss people around, have everybody serve you. Yeah. How great would that be? Man, in uh, early B.C., uh, Cicero is, is writing, he's trying to talk to a whole group of people and convince them that, uh, you know, he's, he's talking about national matters. But he's sharing parables and stories, trying to, to convince people of certain truths. And mm -hmm. he said, leadership basically is not as easy as you think. And he had this story that he had produced called The Sword of Damocles. And it was Dionysus, a leader, who was hard, but was growing and, and was living under constant threat. And he had wealth. Uh, he was the ruler. Uh, but this man, um, Damocles, comes to him and actually says, I, it, it must be so nice to be the king. And live all every day pampered and, and have it be so easy. And, and Dionysius says, you want my spot? Okay, uh, come over here and sit. And so he, he, he sets him up. He actually commands all of the people, give him food, give him the choice meats, bring him whatever he wants to drink, uh, bring in bands and all of this stuff. He says, here, you sit right here on this padded couch. And he sits down on the padded couch. And when he looks up, he sees this sword that's hanging over that throne area by a thin hair. Mm. One wrong move, and that thing is going to come right down through him. Right. And so he's trying to enjoy all of these things, as he saw the king doing, but he's all of a sudden aware, if I make one wrong move, this is all gone, and I'm dead in the process. And Cicero, as he's writing that down, is saying, this is what uh, that seat contains. Yeah, it may look from the outside like everything is easy, but there's actually decisions being made that they don't want to make, ever. And so both of those are in this passage. Yeah. Moses saying, I didn't choose this. I wouldn't choose it. Sons of Korah saying, we want that. It always looks easier. But God says, avoid trying to be the person who says, I know better. I think most leaders watching this message would relate. I think yeah. that the, the perception that, man, I would just love to be in charge. It would be so easy. I'd have it my way. Yeah. But the reality is you can read. There's There's thousands of books out there on leadership and I've read a few books on leadership and every single one that I've read has always been from the perspective of 
here are the ways I failed, don't follow my, yeah. my ways so that you can be successful as a leader because when I got into the role, man, it was a lot harder and I didn't see all these pitfalls. And so there's just book after book that's warning us and I think the same is true here. It, it yeah. is easy to think that I would be better if I were in that role, but the reality is it, leadership comes with a burden of responsibility that is really a heavy burden. It, any good leader at the end is gonna become humble. <laughs> you're, you're just gonna look at, at who you are and realize if anything good happened, it's not my fault, yeah. especially in the church. Yeah. And, and we'll get to that a little bit more later, but I think that's a critical key is, um, it's not just that leadership's not easy, like a woe is me mm -hmm. thing, but literally there's so much weight there. You haven't met a leader that's worth anything, that didn't start a sentence with, gosh, I, would, I should have done this different. Right. Yeah, we all think that. And so we, we read in the story, God, sends a consequence and he yeah. actually opens up the earth and the Korah and all his family and all their possessions fall yeah. into Sheol alive. Yeah. Okay. And uh, <laughs> we were talking about, you actually did at one point. The yeah, Matt and I, when we were teaching on this a long time ago, I just got captivated with that idea because one translation says to the belly of the earth. Right. So I'm measuring out how many miles it is to the center of the earth. And if a person were to jump off of a ridge, reach terminal velocity, how long would they have to fall? And it was something like three and a half days. Mm -hmm. So all the shrieks and screams of 250 people, you know, or of Korah and his men yeah. falling to the center of the earth, that's a horrifying picture. It says alive to Sheol, so that just means down into death. Yeah. But it is a picture where the earth quakes and there are consequences. So there's two things. The pattern of rebellion is consistent. Yeah. But the pattern of consequences, if you have a rebellious heart today, you don't anticipate that God will open up the earth and swallow you. But there are consequences that are consistent or a picture of consequences. And they're revealed in this passage, but Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 says, be careful not to be like them because similar things will happen. Mm -hmm. and, the, and the first thing is that a pattern of consequences start by trying to blame our consequences on others. Yeah. So, I actually grow the consequences. I have a consequence for not going into the land, but now it gets worse because I get mad at the people who told me I'm gonna get in trouble for not wanting to go in the land. And then I get mad again, and it, it just keeps growing and growing the consequences. Whereas if I just would have repented at the beginning, it would have been small. Which is the purpose of a consequence. It's to stop it. From a loving father, yeah. it's a corrective measure. If you've ever had a hard heart, you know, As a, I, I'll say this as a son, <laughs> I know there's moments where I'm mad about the consequence, so I do something even more foolish, and the consequence that I got was way bigger. Right, totally. Yeah, and so starts with trying to blame our consequences on others. Secondly, then it says God removed them. Mm -hmm. This is the thing to remember. Sometimes we get mad when we run into something, we say, well, those people are stopping me. But we have to pause sometimes and say, what if it's not the enemy? What if it's not those people? What if it's God stopping you? Mm. God literally stops them here by opening up the earth and saying, this is the consequence for not listening to mm -hmm. me. So God removes them. A third pattern of consequence is that a faction of their followers continued headstrong to their grave. We read uh, verse 35 there. Um, at the cry, so the earth opens up, all of the people of Israel who are around them fled. They thought the earth will swallow us too. But fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were presenting incense. So there's still a large group of men that gathered and continued to say, but we're still leading. So yeah, the earth's opening up over there and swallowing these guys, but I'm still right. Wow. This happens when a leader gets removed, you will find sometimes a group of people that will still just say, no, I, I was just talking with a pastor in town and at their church, they had this group of people, even though the man was caught in sin, a group of people rose up and said, no, but we still want him in leadership. We still want him to be in this role. And, and that whole entire group, the consequences in their life has been horrifying. They didn't want to be in subjection to anybody, and they're following that leader rather than following the Lord. Yeah. This is a constant pattern. Totally. Um, but also the confused in the congregation, that means just the people who are watching this saying, what is happening? They begin to murmur against God. God, this is your fault. Why didn't you do better? Why didn't you help? Mm -hmm. And then finally, their decision impacted generations. 
Really interesting, in Numbers 26.11, it actually says that the son of Korah, the sons of Korah, did not go down. So you have Korah, yeah. who's part of the Kohath rebellion. All of them uh, end up going down to Sheol. But in 26.11, it says God spared their children. So the little kids saw all of this happen. And they actually got back into a role in the church or in the congregation. They had a role um, at the tent of the meeting, welcoming people, and then their role for the rest all the way up until the time of David. The sons of Korah had to actually go to that altar of incense and they were to polish the implements of worship. So imagine this, 250 censers from this episode. Because they were presented to the Lord, God says they're holy, pound them into that altar of incense as a reminder. So the brass censers are pounded into there and the sons of Korah are polishing the picture of their parents' rebellion. Continual reminder. For generations. Yeah. My parents failed God. Mm -hmm. How horrifying was that? In fact, there's a, a group of songs in the Psalms that are given to us, and I believe that it were songs that the sons of Korah would sing as they're polishing the implements there at the temple of worship. But they actually begin to tell a story of a group of kids who at once were horrified yeah. by their parents' decisions, and now the trail moves them forward to but yet because of God, we're in good standing. And the songs of the sons of Korah became part of the Psalms of Ascents. People would sing them on their way as a picture of redemption. So even though my parents rejected and I was embarrassed, God slowly will lift me up. So God saves a remnant, but for generations, they lived with the stigma. Right. And that hurt. And so we see here that there's actually things got more complicated and more and more people were brought into the consequences yeah. because there wasn't the initial acceptance of the original consequence. That's Had huge. they received it, repented, turned away from it, it would have spared a lot of lives, spared a lot of heartache. But sometimes yeah. in our own lives, we can try to avoid one consequence and we actually make it a lot worse. Yeah, that's huge. In fact, the way we said it is rebellion is often born from consequences magnifies consequences by trying to avoid consequences. Yeah. I was telling you a story about, I think that's what you're referring to, about am, my dad. Uh, we were talking about this when we were down fishing just a little while ago, but he had, he had grilled into us as uh, boys, if, if you see a deer, don't swerve, right? Just power through it and we'll take the consequences with the, uh, the insurance. It's too dangerous to swerve, you'll get in trouble. Well, he's coming home one day and he has his pickup truck and it's a nice ride. It had been just a little bit slick because of a new water that, it, you know, yeah. rain had come through. And right. he comes around the corner and he sees these deer. And his instant thought is, I think I can get around them. And he begins to turn. The truck starts to break loose. He overcorrects and he ends up spinning around and flipping this truck clear <laughs> up and over this berm. So I don't know how fast he was going. He might have challenged us as teenage boys yeah. on the speed. But he ends up parking this thing on the fourth green at a country <laughs> club. <laughs> And it's wrecked. And all we get is a picture of this guy crawling out of the pickup truck. Uh, he, he survived it. He right. was uh, doing okay. But, I mean, it was a, a complete wreck. Uh, totaled the vehicle. Yeah. Uh, and what happens is you come around that corner. You start with to avoid the consequence of coming around too quickly. You think you can get out of it. And you steer and then you overcorrect and then it just magnifies and magnifies until the consequence mm -hmm. is so big and so so massive you, you can't get any worse. Yeah. He's destroyed it. So And so that's the that is the reality that rebellion leads to consequences. Yeah. The consequences are corrective in their purpose, but yet if we fight against that, yeah, it only makes things worse. I wonder, though, as we listen to that, and maybe as we've been inspecting our own hearts, seeing these patterns, and maybe we've identified that some of these patterns have been true in our hearts yeah. towards God's authority, yeah. to the people that God's placed in our lives. It can feel pretty maybe hopeless if you're like, man, this is me. Um, and God obviously takes this very serious. Is there hope for someone who's been struggling with a rebellious heart? Yeah, and, and I think... Um... There's a couple of things, and I, and I think we wrote down some questions that yeah. kind of help us, you know, guide that um, 
uh, that thinking. Yeah. But I, I think the the hope for the rebellious heart, if we look at even what happened with the sons of Korah, yeah. uh, if, I, if I were to go, I, I had highlighted uh, Psalm 46. Mm-hmm. Here's one of their songs. It says that God is our refuge and strength, the helper who is always found in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not be afraid, though the earth trembles and the mountains topple to the depths of the sea. Mm-hmm. The waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with its turmoil. And it says, Selah, stop and think about that. Why should we stop and think about that? Because it's the sons of Korah saying, God is our refuge and our strength. Even if the earth begins to open, he'll, if we love him, he's going to leave us up here untouched, which is what their experience was. And their strong encouragement in verse 10 is, cease striving, stop fighting, and know that I am God. Yeah. That's their heart. Is there any hope for us? If we just yield to the Lord, there's hope for every one of us. Amen. And and every person that's been in leadership has had the sons of Korah temptation on the way to that place. Every single one of us has had a moment where we're like, I could do this better. Why are you in that role? And then we get there and realize, oh, wait, we're, we're all super lame, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> we're all bad. So this is another warning from Paul in chapter yeah. 10 of, hey, don't complain against God's person, the people yeah. that God has placed over you to lead you, to be an authority over you. And so I think we've unpacked this passage and we've identified two patterns that we need to inspect and see if they're in our yeah. heart. But we also have a question because I think one of the things now we need to do is just for maybe those watching this morning, okay, here are two pastors, we're sitting up here and we're talking about how yep. people in a congregation shouldn't complain against the man that God has placed over them. And so yeah. here's the question I have for you this morning, Pastor <clears throat> Justin. What will stop bad pastors from quoting this passage to keep people in line? That's a good question. <laughs> in fact, I think it has been done. I think that um, especially if you think about some of the pictures of um, you know, legalism mm-hmm. or authoritarian leadership or patriarchal stuff, we have all these words we use, right? People will use these passages to just say knuckle under. Uh, But historically, this has been the case both in the Old Testament and the New. God uses the Word of God and elders, leaders, uh, to help guide even the man of God, to keep them under control. The absence of one of those two, then God steps in and does something to Mm. say, I'll help sort the difference. So in this situation, they have the Word of God. Even Korah is quoting it. But Moses is the one writing it down. So they're saying, some of these things are suspicious to us, right? How do we know it's really God? Well, when it hasn't been written down yet for us to inspect it and say, we've all agreed this is God's word, God steps in and he does something dramatic. In the New Testament, we have in the book of Acts, even episodes like Ananias and Sapphira, where scripture hasn't been written down to say, how do I inspect the heart and guide people? And God steps in and says, I want you to see this man is a man of authority. But he doesn't always do the dramatic. That's the one thing we have to be able to see. It's not always just hellfire and brimstone. But when God says, I really need you to get this point, he makes it. Yeah. But the rest of the time, the pattern is good elders. If they're all in unity, that's supernatural. And also the word of God. So we look at the word of God. And if that leader is doing things that are not in keeping with the word of God, we bring it up. And the elders, if they're godly and have a pattern of godliness, will unite around that. And that's consistently been the case. So unity from godly elders and obedience to God's word is going to lead to honest leadership. But there's going to be times where we might have concerns. We might have uh, a disagreement. I think we need to inspect our hearts. Is this a matter of preference or is this a matter of doctrine? Sometimes personalities are different, and um, it's okay. Here's the thing that we have to understand, too. It's okay for a personality to rub somebody the wrong way. That doesn't mean it's sin. Um, It's also okay, and and we should allow that even within the congregation to say, oh, man, I don't like how they say this, or I don't like how they do this, or I don't like this direction. But uh, the technical term people use is is that orthopraxy or orthodoxy. Mm -hmm. If they're still orthodox, but I don't like how they apply certain things, you can make some choices there. But what you don't have the right to do is say they're in sin, all right? right. I, I, you can say I don't like it. Yeah. But I think the other thing that we have to wrap our minds around is 1 Corinthians. Mm-hmm. This is a passage that we talk about all the time on our staff. And it says this, 
1 Corinthians 1, brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Now he's talking to not just believers, but leaders. Mm. There are not many wise from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. Mm -hmm. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world. What is viewed as nothing to bring to nothing what is viewed as something. So that no one may boast in his presence. It is from him that you are in Christ Jesus who became the wisdom of God for us, our righteousness sanctification and redemption in order that just as it is written let the one who boasts boast in the Lord why do I quote that at length when we look at each other we say look (laughs) this is a ship of monkeys we say it all the time we're not wise not noble and the whole thing that God is doing is he's using broken silly people we're we're uh, a bunch of fractured pieces. And the reason that God's chosen broken simpletons yeah. to run the church is so that everyone will look at the church and say, there's just no way that's because of that. It's got to be supernatural. The only reason anything good is happening is because God uses broken people. Right. So if you have broken leaders, man, just rejoice. That's proof that God is still working. Absolutely. If you have leaders who are in sin, you don't rejoice. Right. But if you see brokenness and God is still at work, you just praise God and say, God is just showing himself faithful. Right. And we say that all the time. Absolutely. Yeah. So. And so I guess the heart that we're trying to communicate is we would never want to uh, use God's word yeah. to try to promote sin, cover sin, or to just push our own agenda. Let the word yeah. of God direct us. Let godly men be in unity. And let's lead honestly and hold ourselves accountable to God's word and God himself. It's a, it's a critical thing that we make sure that everyone in the congregation, and if I were to, to make a plea to our church, it would be we, we don't want you to just honor us and lift us up or you know, do fine paintings yeah. of us and, and put those you know, around as tapestries in the church. What we want is for people to feel settled and know that we know we're broken. We're not saying in this scripture, you need to honor us as, as if we are, you know, don't elevate us to this high plateau. But we're taking this role uh, serious Absolutely. and saying that before the Lord, we're going to do what he has led us to do. If, if anyone sees things in us that are not right according to scripture, they should come and bring it up. Absolutely. That's an invitation. We need that. It's healthy for us. Yeah, and you and I are not operating on an island. We're part of an elder team here, and we're part of a staff that also has permission to speak into our lives. We do life with our staff. Yeah, but we want that culture to be evident, and we don't want it to just be like on a video. Yeah. We really want to invite that. But then I do want us to settle in together. A team that says, I get that we're all broken. We all have different personalities. But Ephesians 4 1 says that, that there's a unity that comes from the Spirit and yeah. it creates a bond of peace. There is an energy that happens when we all yield that God is trying to get us to. Yeah. That says, if you'll just look to me instead of the brokenness around you, I'll get all the rest of it right. Yeah. And that's what he's trying to push us towards. Not about deciding, have you said the right thing about the leaders? There might be some discussions in living rooms we'll be glad to not <laughs> listen in on. I'm okay with that. I am too. I'm okay with that. What I'm not okay with is if we walk away and just say, I'm not going to follow God. I'm not going to join his people. I'm not going to be in fellowship because I'm irritated. Well, now that's what this passage is saying. Do not be like that. Yeah, yeah. So as we do each week, we want to have a couple of questions to guide conversations in homes. And yeah. uh, we've kind of been using the, the acronym of ICE to kind of help shape our questions. So what are some questions that folks can discuss in their homes this morning? Yeah, I think the, the first one is why is it hard to follow leaders in your own heart? Why is it hard? Uh, to follow them and and you can put it within the context of the world or the church the specific context here is the church but what makes that hard and uh, be honest yeah I think we were talking about every person even us can say we can point to times in our life where if we don't guard against it we will think we could do a better job 
than the person over us and we can push against their leadership. Absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah, the second question is, how would you encourage someone who's struggling with authority based on this passage? Yeah, absolutely. And that, again, there's both inside the church and outside the church. There's yeah. a lot probably of opportunities to uh, encourage how we should approach um, leaders in this season. Yeah, and I, I think the final question, if we're going to elevate our view, is what would Christ have you focus on? Mm-hmm. When things aren't going the way that you want them to go, what would God have you focus on in this season? Because I think the passage in 1 Corinthians 10 is saying, don't do this because Christ is higher, and he'll work through that brokenness if you'll just let him. Yeah, it's a great reminder. Well, hopefully you've been encouraged by this uh, this morning and that you've had a chance to gather with some people now and can discuss it more. But uh, Pastor Justin, why don't you pray for us as yeah. we wrap up? let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for the reminder. We do ask that you would help us to be those that submit and yield in a godly way. Not just doormats, not just people who lay down, but Father, who thoughtfully, out of an act of worship, say, I see you at work in broken people, and I want to be a part of what you are doing. Father, I pray that you would help us. Help us to yield. Help us to have a unity that's supernatural. And Father, out of that unity, I pray that you would impact the community that's around us, mm-hmm. the people that are watching the church, where they see inept leaders, broken people, folks that are coming from backgrounds uh, that wouldn't normally be the pathway to leadership, who are thrust into that role. When they see that succeeding, when they see supernatural things happening as a result, I pray that they would glorify you. Not us, it's evident that it can't be because we're great. You are the great God that causes anything good to happen. We pray that your name would be magnified and that you would you'd be glorified as we submit and serve side by side. Help us to do that well in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.